What's poppin' y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Heliocentric Podcast. I'm your host, Pierre, Pee Wee the Plug, Andreessen. For all my people that's watching at home, make sure you hit that like button for me. And if you're new and you enjoy high-level basketball talk, make sure you subscribe. For my audio listeners, wherever you get your podcast, head over there right now and give this podcast a five-star like and review. As always, it is much appreciated. Basketball in general, whether it's high school, youth, NBA, collegiate, whatever basketball is the most humbling sport ever in my opinion um and as for me as a fan as a media personality as as somebody who's a basketball junkie it's humbling because it's something that i always can use as an educational tool there's something that's always out there for me to know or for me to learn better whether it's a player whether it's a coaching style or coaching philosophy offensive set whether it's scouting whether it's understanding the game before me because i do believe that in order to know where you're going you have to know where you're coming from so it's important to understand the history of the game and how we got here today and how we're going to move forward and progress our game as we continue to age and get older and older and older on the flip side for players the game is humbling because you look at somebody like joel and b and that's exactly where we're going to start this podcast somebody like joel and b one week or one day of the week can be scoring 70 points and can be the talk of the league. 70 points. He's looking like he's positioned to win his back-to-back MVP. He's playing the best basketball of his career, which says a lot because it feels like the last five years we've been saying this is the best basketball of his career. So he continues to get better. He's changing the narrative for himself. And then just like that, in the stamp of a finger, blink of an eye, Joel Embiid is now injured with an injury that is threatening the rest of the season for him. And this is something that he's experienced plenty of times before in his career. But again, it's something that's just extremely humbling because it's out of the player's control. And that's one side of it because it's always been extremely kind of head-scratching to me when people have kind of used injuries against players in a negative way. And, and, And what I mean by that is, as somebody who's played basketball, never at the level of Joel Embiid or anybody that I'm going to mention, but I've played basketball a lot, and I've dealt with a very big injury. I tore a tendon in my ankle, and it was something that, you know, it wasn't an ACL injury. It wasn't anything crazy like surgery or anything, but it was crazy because it had to repair itself. And when you're dealing with something that has to heal itself, the timetable for return is so big and wide and it's also something that can never really be fixed because it wasn't surgically repaired so it's always something that's lingering it's always something that could be sore and you just have to kind of deal with that as the for the rest of your life and for the rest of your playing days and the one thing i'll say about dealing with injuries and they gave me a different outlook on it. And though I had one injury, that was the only time ever in my life and career where I've had a significant injury besides, you know, an ankle sprain or, you know, um, you get your finger jammed on a ball or something like that. You get a cut or something, something that's very minor. This is injuries is something that you cannot control. Your body deciding that it's going to fail on you right here or that it can't handle this or that it's going to bend that way in this moment is just something a player can't control. And I'm saying all of this because I understand that because Joel Embiid came into the NBA and had a very injury prone start to his career, there's this pressure on him 
and the Philadelphia 76ers to kind of get past that narrative and to prove to everybody and also prove to themselves that this isn't going to be something that they have to worry about while they're trying to pursue a championship because Joel Embiid is a top five talent, maybe even top three talent in the NBA right now. And when you have a talent like that, you have a window to do something magical. You have a window to do what every franchise or every fan base is hoping for, which is win a championship. And based off the results of this year so far, the Philadelphia 76ers with Joel Embiid, with Tyrese Maxey, with Tobias Harris, with Nick Nurse and the rest of the cast that they have around them, see themselves as somebody who has a legitimate chance, plus the potential moves that they can make at the deadline and the 60-something million dollars that they have in cap space for this upcoming offseason. There's just a lot of wiggle room for them in this now window of championship that's out there kind of post Ben Simmons, post James Harden, post Jimmy Butler. This is like a new era of Joel Embiid as the clear-cut face of it all. There's not even close. And then he has a sidekick in Tyrese Maxey and then a, a vet sidekick in Tobias Harris. This is like a new regime, new era with Nick Nurse as the head coach drawing up um, better X and O's for, as, as far as Joel B dealing with the uh, double teams and different things like that. And having somebody like Maxi, who's a very talented player in his own light. But there is a clear cut ranking in Philadelphia where nobody is sniffing Joel B. And it may have always been like that, but because there was so much closeness between Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons as far as them entering the lead around the same time there wasn't this clear-cut gap so you had two guys who were perennial all-stars you had two guys who were putting up numbers you had two guys who were doing different things but at a very elite level so it seemed close and Joel Embiid at that time could never he never veered away and made that gap as big now he's dominating the NBA he's been you know healthy for the most part and he's an MVP. So now it's a clear cut order of what's going on in Philadelphia. But to circle back, players just can't you, you you can't really control the way your body reacts to something. And when I see the media, when I see fans, the way they talk about players who are quote unquote injury prone, it's head scratching. I'm a Chicagoan. So I I, I grew up when Derrick Rose was was at his height in Chicago. I was also able to see the reaction of people when Derrick Rose's injury started to pile up back to back to back. Every time we thought Derrick Rose was coming back, and here it is, it just seemed like something else happened. It was this knee, now it's the other knee, now it's a neck. Oh, now his eye socket got broken in a practice, and now this this ankle injury, and now it's a. it always seemed like something. And I saw an entire city, for the most part, that was on his back, begin to turn on him and i see you in the newspaper headlines the people saying um on the news outlets when they talk about sports for that little five minute cycle just the tone of what people are saying is almost like damn you would think the players out there getting hurt on purpose and that's the same way i feel about joel and b i understand that you want to change the narrative i understand that philadelphia wants to change the narrative but if people don't understand that you these injuries are out of your control then at some point, Joel in Philadelphia has to push them out. And the reason I'm tying all of this back in to say is because I am a little worried and concerned that the Philadelphia 76ers and Joel Embiid can potentially handle this the wrong way. Just based off all of the information we've gotten thus far in this process, it's a little concerning for somebody like me. 
when you first see the injury announced from Woj, from Shams and different outlets, the wording of these reports are a little. I don't even know the word, but it's it, it, it's it's like cryptic. They just don't want to say for so long. It took them to just say, hey, he has a torn meniscus and he's going to need surgery. It's like they drew it all out. And that was announced today. As soon as I woke up, he's about to do the surgery, uh, about to go through it. The hope is one or two months at the least. And it's like that that that's what we all thought when it immediately happened. When he got hurt. And we knew it was something with the meniscus. I immediately was like, he's going to probably need surgery. The whole idea of them dragging it out, we're going to see if he needs rest. We're going to see if um if if he can just if it can just, you know, heal on his own and all that. No. It was always for me the fact that, hey, this dude is going to need some type of surgery to repair what's going on. And even with the the, the way that they talked about the surgery, it's like, oh, yeah, you're going to go in there and it's a flap and all these. It's like, bro. And I was trying to find a Wolf tweet right in front of me. But he, Joel Embiid has been such a hot topic that the actual announcement of the injury. Um, there's been like 30,000 tweets so far with Joel Embiid. It's going to be very hard for me to pinpoint it. But even today, the reigning MVP will undergo a procedure this week to repair a left meniscus injury. A team official tells ESPN a recovery timeline is expected after the procedure, but expectations that he will miss an extended period of time. This took them days to report. This is like, this is the tweet announcing the surgery and what, but this is like a few days after. To me, this is the, this should have been the official report. Yo, Joel Embiid is hurt. It's very tough for us to deal with. Obviously, nobody wants this to happen. We will wish he wouldn't be getting hurt. But the, 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 the fact of the matter is he's probably going to miss an extended amount of time. And this is the one I'm, I found it. Sixer star Joel Embiid has an injured lateral meniscus in his left knee and will be out through the weekend while a treatment plan is finalized. There's still uncertainty about how the Sixers medical staff, several specialists, and MB will move forward to treat the injured meniscus. They'll take more time over the next several days to start a course. It's just like, I I don't want to harp on it or make it seem like they're doing anything that's super crazy, but it's just like, he was probably going to need surgery, y'all. y'all. Y'all going through all of these plans and trying to come up with this, this route for this. And that's what scares me. Instead of just saying, hey, man, listen, it's very unfortunate. But the best thing to do is to really take care of this the proper way, which is going to probably see you missing a lot of time, potentially the rest of the year. They're like, man, is it any they're going? He's met with several different specialists several different doctors and i'm all good with that if you're trying to find the best procedure but it seemed like they were doing it to try to figure out if he really needed to miss time they're trying to they're trying to make him miss the least amount of time as possible and i just think for a guy with the injury history he has at his size that's a very dangerous game to play because the last thing you want to do is bring him back too premature and this becomes something that lingers and hinders him 
for, you know, the next couple of years. If we could just get this done and we have to close him down for the rest of the year and we unfortunately missed him, but then the next two years he's good as far as this injury. Anything else can happen, we know. But as far as this injury, we just take care of it and we don't have to think about it anymore, then phenomenal. But if we're going to half-ass it to rush the process, no pun intended, and allow this to continue to be a lingering thing that can go into next year as well at some point. Because we've seen this before. You know what I mean? We've seen players have these type of injuries where they don't necessarily take care of it fully. And they just try to do something quickly, rest it, play through it, do something minor, miss the least amount of time. And then they play through it. And then next thing you know, they're out next year for the full year. And it's like, damn, he's out the next year. Yeah, because we didn't properly take care of it. We've seen that with Kawhi. Kawhi had a knee issue with the Clippers and he was playing through it or, you know, he didn't take care of it. For, I, I can't remember off the top of my brain, but that was what a couple years ago or last year's playoffs or the year before where he was doing his thing against the Suns. And then like out of nowhere, hey, Kawhi's out. Kawhi's going to have to get surgery on that knee. It's like, bro, what? I we didn't even I didn't even think anything about like a cert like you know he's he's out for the rest of the he's killing he's putting up numbers 30 30 30 and then it's just boom yeah we put too much impact on his knee and because we never properly took care of this now he's gone and now our playoffs are done all of the hopes everything it's just gone it's just evaporated in a minute of seconds and again it goes back to the humbling of the sport where one night you could be seen as a hero Carrying your team through the playoffs or carrying your team through a game, putting the team on your back, putting up high gaudy numbers that has the entire basketball world in shock. And then a day or two later, the entire basketball world is in shock again for all of the wrong reasons, because now you're going to be out for a, a, a decent amount of time. And I think that's the same thing with Joel and B. Even even now when they announced it. I woke up, I saw Sean speaking on it and Sean was like, man, the hope is. He's out for just one or two months at the least. Philadelphia. Why Why even put that? I know what we're hoping for, Sixers, but why even put that in people's minds? Like, just get the surgery and say he's going to miss an extended amount of time. That's what I would say. He's going to miss time. We're not even going to put a number on it because then when you start to put a month, 30 days, he's going to have a surgical repair on his knee at his size and his weight. And he's going to come back in 30 days, potentially. That's just not that's just not anything I want to sell my fan base. I'm sorry. It's just not anything I want to sell my fan base. 30 days is just not it's just not going to be enough because then you have to get the surgery. Then it's going to be extended time where obviously fresh off the surgery, he's not going to be able to put any weight, any pressure, do anything close to any basketball activities on that knee. Then after that, he's going to be able to go into shit, but it's going to have to be light, right? You're going to have to start doing little things doing very little and subtle movements. Then they're going to ramp it up a little bit. And then if he's well after ramping up, then they're going to have him go full motion. And then he's going to do contact. And then he's going to have to do some things to get a little bit shape because he's always been a player that's playing at his size and his weight who has to get into shape. shape, Being in shape has been a big thing for Joel Embiid because fairly enough, he's a big guy. You know what I mean? He's just a big guy. I don't mean he's necessarily lazy. It don't mean he doesn't have work ethic. But when you're a seven footer at 200 something pounds, almost 300 pounds, I mean, I'm just being real. And so all of that happening in the span of four to eight weeks, it's just hard for me to believe. And then even if it happens in two months, 
Now you're talking about him coming off surgery, coming off rehab, doing everything to work himself back and being thrown right into the fire of the playoffs. To me, it's just like, man, is it worth it for a guy? Again, you have a top five, maybe even top three talent in the league. Do you want to risk long term or do you want to rush this process for him to play in the playoffs where y'all not? It's not like they're the favorites, right? The Sixers have a chance, but I don't think they're the favorites. I don't think nobody is looking at the Philadelphia 76ers as the the highest betting odd team to win the championship this year. You know what I mean? Like they're they're good, they're solid, and they definitely have a chance, but I'm not looking at them as the heavy, overwhelming favorite where we man, if he doesn't play this year, we're never gonna have a chance to win the championship. That's just not how I view the Sixers. You know what I mean? They're a problem. I don't think anybody wants to face them. That's for damn sure. But I don't know if they're at the point where it's is is worth risking. You know what I'm saying? And and that that's just my thing. I'm preparing myself as a basketball fan. I'm not a Sixers fan. So it's a little different for me. I'm preparing myself to not see Joel Embiid play this year. I'm just not. And if I have Sixers fans listening, I'm going to be honest with you. I think in my heart, I don't know. I just think based off every single report that we have seen with this injury thus far over the last week, the Philadelphia 76ers are going to throw things out there to keep you from knowing that Joel Embiid is out for the year. The only way they're going to announce that is if something happens in his procedure where they have to go a full repair, and then they'll just straight up say, yo, Joel Embiid is out. But I think no matter what, with this surgery, I don't expect to see him play this year. I just don't. Because again, he's too he's he means too much to them. He means too much to them. This is the MVP guy. This is a guy who can score 70 points in a game. He demands a, a double and a triple team. He's a three-level big seven-foot guy who's damn near virtually unstoppable. You cannot show me one guy in the NBA. You can't show me two guys in the NBA who can defend Joel Embiid when he wants to be the most dominant. Now, there are times where he's going to bail out defenses. There's times where he'll bail out defenders. You know what I mean? There's times where he's going to have games, as we've seen in the playoffs, where he just doesn't appear. And that's one totally different thing. But on the course of just through basketball, through the year, and in totality, there's not anybody that can guard to do it. Then when you have a player like that, you're going to continue to give yourself a chance, which at the end of the day is what every franchise and every fan base wants. They think they want the championship. You really just want a chance. You want a chance. You're happy with a chance. There's so many fans who don't have a championship, but some of their core memories is just the chance of having one. And there are certain fans who teams have won a championship, and I see them complaining all the time because you know why? It was never really about the championship. It was about the chance of competing, being able to be in a situation where you can constantly compete. That's more valuable to fan bases and fans. You know what I mean? There's been teams who won a championship and then that was it. The Toronto Raptors, that was it. But now you see how they feel. It's like, man, they would just probably rather just continue to just compete. And that That's just sometimes what I get from fans. So I'm wishing Joel and B well. Um, I'm not trying to speak anything against him. I'm not trying to put this in the air and saying he had 
if it was up to me, yeah, I would love for him to be able to come back in 30 days. One or two months at the least. If Joel Embiid can go through all of this, the procedure, the surgery, um, rehab it, get better, and just pop pop right back on the court, oh, hell yeah, sign me up for it. No, no, no worries, no problems after that. I'll sign me up for it. But me knowing based off it, just just knowing injuries and knowing how surgeries go, ex- dealing with injuries myself where I didn't have or I didn't even get a surgery procedure. You know, what I'm saying I, I just know how it goes. There's a there's a process with everything there. Guys just don't get surgery and just get on the court the next game. It just do- it just doesn't work like that. It don't work like that. There's no surgery that's just kind of, you know what I mean? Like, you you probably can't even get dental surgery and just hop on the court the next day. It's just born, it just, it's just not something that happens, let alone when we go on inside the leg, the lower half, you know what I mean, ligaments and, and all of these. No, there's just no way. There's just no way. And if anybody is doing it, they're rushing it. And we know the type of stuff rushing can bring to the table. So, Joel and B, get well soon. Philadelphia, hold your head, continue to support him. Uh, and I think the rest of the NBA media should do the same thing. This should not be a tool to target Joel Embiid. This should not be a I told you so moment. I told you he's injury prone. I told you this guy. How could you guys ever believe? We got to stop that type of shit in our sport. You know what I mean? And that's how I closed the, the Joel Embiid thing. We got to stop that. And that was my point with the Derrick Rose. And there's been so many different players where there's a thirst in the media to, to call somebody injury prone or to say they're not this level of a player or they can't be trusted here. They can't be trusted there. I don't know how I'm going to feel about in the playoffs because, you know, what I mean, certain criticism is understandable, but it's not it doesn't mean enough for us to use it as an I told you so. Because what it does is. As we're seeing in real time, it puts a certain amount of pressure on a franchise, on a player to do none smart things or unsmart things to quickly get back on a basketball ball court to prove us wrong. And all that it does is hinders them even more. And if we're all really the fans of the game, as we say we are, we really want all of these dudes healthy. So I am always going to tell players especially players that I like, especially players that are dominant, especially players that can score 70. Brother, take your time. Get fully healthy. Let's make sure that this is the last one. And I know it's tough for people to say when it comes to Joel B, but at some point, we got to just keep the optim- you know, optimism high. There can't be a day where this dude has his last big-time injury, and we just coast, we take a chill. The 76ers are like, hey, We'll just try to keep you around 65 games, you know, depending on the year. We'll low manage this thing because you're that good when you do play. And obviously what's more important to us is the playoff push and not necessarily you putting up 70 in a meaningless game against the damn Spurs. That's my TED talk as far as injuries and Joel and B get well, brother media do better. This is not, it's just not good. Going from injuries, we'll slide over into the All-Star game because we're going to probably have some injury replacements. Um, So that's how we'll segue that. Joel Embiid is obviously not going to play in the All-Star game. That's one of the things he'll miss, along with possibly being the MVP, you know what I mean, being an All-NBA player. All of those things are probably going to go by the wayside, unfortunately. But All-Star is is one of the things that's a part of that. So somebody get moved up into being an All-Star starter. 
Um, off the top of my head, I can't. I, I just don't know who that would be. Uh, I don't know why I'm blanking right now as far as the Eastern Conference goes. Uh, yeah, my mind is just blank right now, so I don't. I don't know because Julius Randle is hurt and Joel Embiid is hurt. We now have two spots open. In those two spots, Trey Young. Trey Young is going to get get one of those spots, and that's more so what I want to talk about. As y'all can tell by the title. Obviously, Trey Young, yeah, snub for sure. I think DeMontis Sabonis and, and, and De'Aaron Fox is a snub as well. But I know the snub conversations have they've happened, right? When this was fully announced, people probably put out snub videos, probably wrote snub think pieces and different things like that. And historically, over the years where I've been doing this, talking basketball as a media personality, whether it's on my YouTube, whether it's on our podcast, whether it's the numbers on the board or formerly known through the wire podcast, I've been a big proponent as far as the all-star game as being something where, where I'm in the mindset of this. And I've told fans this for years. There is 24 spots in the all-star game. And the current landscape of basketball for a while now, we have had a lot more than 24 all-star level players. Right. Our game is constantly growing. The talent is constantly growing. The pool of players is getting larger and larger and larger, especially when you talk about from a full health standpoint. Right. A full health standpoint, because a lot of times each year we have four or five. Significant players injured. You know what I mean? Like right now, John Rand, he's he's hurt. He's usually a guy that you would have to put into this conversation. You know what I mean? Zach Levine has been an all-star. He's been hurt for majority of the year. There's been years where Steph has been hurt. There's been years where KD has been hurt. Um, like guys are just hurt. Kawhi, Paul George, guys are you guys are who are usually in the playoff and the, the sorry in the all-star mix. There's always some of our perennial all-stars that are hurt. It's just the truth. It's just a matter of fact. I say all that to say, if we have only 24 spots and we know we have 30 to 35 all-star level players, I'm talking all-star level. That doesn't mean they've been an all-star. doesn't mean they're a perennial all-star. doesn't mean, you know what I mean? It's like just a level. They're at that level. Mike Conley type guys where, hey, he he's playing all-star level basketball. Jamal Murray, never been an all-star, but he plays all-star level basketball. You know what I'm saying? Like we have certain players like that in our league. So the pool is about 30 to 35 when we're at full health. Knowing that as a basketball fan, every year I should come in to the season knowing around All-Star, somebody's going to get snubbed. Somebody's not going to make it because there's literally just not enough spots, which makes it entertaining. It makes it more rewarding and it makes the process. Well, it should make it fun. But to me, it's been it's been getting a little murky and a little questionable, which is the point I'm getting at today. So I'm not really here to talk about. Or I'm here to talk about it, but I'm not here to drag out the snub thing. Because again, like I've said, plenty of people probably have talked about it. What I'm here to talk about, what I'm here to discuss, is the question of the podcast. Does the NBA hate Trey Young? And the reason this popped across my mind is because Trey Young, to me, gets fairly, gets unfairly treated when it comes to a lot of this NBA shit. We just saw in the summer with the with the Team USA shit. It's just no way Trey Young is not a part of that. Then they say it's politics. He's an Adidas guy. Mostly, you know, Team USA is 
Nike, even in the past when they've had Adidas guys, you'll see them cover up their shoes and different things like that. Understandable bullshit to me. But hey, sure. And, you know, whatever. It's not the real Olympic thing anyway. So we're not going to make that too big of a a, a deal. When I come to this all-star stuff, though, now I can't ignore it. And I like Trey Young. It's not like he's my favorite guy, so I don't want anybody to think I'm being like biased. This is my favorite player of all time or anything like that. I like Trey Young. I really like him a lot. But even some of the names that I'm going to bring up, a part of my argument or a part of some of the research I did, I like those guys too. I like There's not many players in the NBA where I just straight up don't like them, especially when we're talking all-star level players. But you have Trey Young who didn't make it. DeMontis Sabonis didn't make it. De'Aaron Fox didn't make it. They'll tell me that Trey Young didn't make it because the Hawks are the 10th seed right now. That's something that they'll tell me. They'll say, hey, Trey Young is a 10th seed. The Hawks are below 500. And they're not winning games. Right? That's exactly what they'll tell me. Then I'll look at somebody like Carlton Towns who made it, who's having a really good year. But he made it over DeMontis Sabonis. DeMontis Sabonis is having a much better year, in my opinion, than Carlton Towns. It's just a fact. And they'll say, hey, but... The Timberwolves, man, they're, they're, they're hooping. They're doing their thing. They got to have two all-stars because they're doing their thing. It's the same reason with Boston. That's why you see Boston got Tatum and Brown. The top seed, they're doing their thing. Then they'll say, hey, listen, the Lakers ain't winning like the Timberwolves. They ain't the top of the conference. They ain't winning like the Celtics at the top of the conference. But they got to have two all-stars because those who's just putting up numbers. Sabron. Anthony Davis, they having good years. Statistically, look at what Anthony Davis is doing. Got to have LeBron in there. Even at the age, he's he's hooping. He's doing his thing. So it's like, okay, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So 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 winning, winning don't winning ain't that important then, (laughs) because the Lakers the the Lakers are battling for the play in right now. So. You just we just told me that winning is winning means a lot, which is why the Timberwolves got two guys. But then the exact opposite is going on in L.A. I think they're like one game above 500. And in fact, when this voting occurred, they were probably below 500. Just being a buck. They're, they're above 500 today. But the voting did in the decision making did not happen today. They were probably below 500 and may have been lower in the standings if I'm just keeping it a buck. Right. So now that's a contradiction. You're telling me winning matters. Then you're telling me numbers matter. And then you probably have an example of somebody that does both. Somebody that has a little bit of both. They're winning and they're and they're putting up some numbers. You know what I mean? And that makes you look at somebody like Paul George, right? Paul George is having a good year. Clippers are winning games. Same thing with Kawhi. But then I say, hold on, time out, time out, time out, time out. Nope, that don't work either. Because if that's the case, why the hell do Lonta Sabonis ain't an all-star game? The Sacramento Kings have been winning all year. They're a top five seed, comfortably in the playoffs. They're not a play-in team. They're top five seed. And DeMontis Sabonis is damn near averaging a triple-double. So now I'm really confused. What is the criteria? What are we looking for? What does it matter? And we ain't even talking. I'm not even really talking about the starters. LeBron James is a starter, so he's getting in there because he's LeBron James. We know LeBron is making it. We know Steph is making it. The only thing stopping them is injury, right? That's the only thing that's really stopping them. 
But I'm looking at Anthony Davis, who is having a good year. But if y'all tell me winning means more or winning is what we're looking for, then how do the Lakers get to All-Stars? If you're telling me it's about numbers, then how the hell is Trey Young not an All-Star? If you're telling me it's about both, then how is DeMontis Sabonis not an All-Star? And that's the problem I'm having right now, y'all. I don't, it, none of it makes sense. And to me, that's when it becomes a big deal. When this shit just doesn't make sense, we have to start looking at it to make it make sense. Now, when it comes to starters, and it's a big fan vote that plays a big part of that, then I then, then we don't have much to talk about there. Yeah, uh, Jalen Brunson should start over Damian Lillard. Yeah, Donovan Mitchell could have started over Damian Lillard. Yeah, Tyrese Maxey could have started over Damian Lillard. But that was majority fans. You got to be able to stay woke and stay ready for when it's three times the vote. You know what I mean? You got you got to do all that type of extra shit. So we'll just leave that out of the, out of our hands. We don't we don't really have a play in that. But when we come to these reserves and it's coaching, making decisions and different things like that, we need it to make sense. What is really going on? Because if you tell me it's about numbers, then, hey, my boy, Trey Young deserves to be in here. Twenty seven and 10. 20, you know, what I mean, like he's been doing that for the last I don't know how many years. If you tell me it's about winning, I'm going to ask you how the hell the Lakers got two All-Stars. Because there's this other team out there in L.A., they're winning more than the Lakers. One of them got two All-Stars, the Clippers. But the Kings, I mean, the Kings deserve at least one if we're saying it's winning. If it's about winning, why the hell hasn't Jamal Murray ever been an All-Star? I look at a year like last year. I'm, 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 I have notes from last year's All-Star game. The Denver Nuggets were the number one seed, and they only had Jokic represent them. We all, as a basketball community, can say Jamal Murray is the definition of an all-star level player. A guy who technically, by the history books, didn't make it. But I know in my heart, Jamal Murray is, is an all-star. <laughs> He's an all-star, man. He, he might not get the badge. He might not get the title. But that dude is an all-star. And he's bust a lot of other all-stars' asses on that main stage which probably weighs a lot more to Jamal Murray, but he's an all-star level player. It just is what it is. He's not as popular as Steph Curry. He's not as popular as John Moran. He's not as popular as Damian Lillard. So you think about that Western Conference guards for all of those years, James Harden's, Devin Booker's. He's not going to make it over those guys. He's not. Donovan Mitchell when he was in Utah, he's not going to make it over those guys. There's no way, right? Because he's never going to have the numbers edge because he's a second fiddle guy to a numbers machine he's also never going to have the idea of him carrying a team because he's second fiddle to a guy and he's just not popular he's not as exciting as those other names but y'all tell me that winning is what plays a part he's won a lot more than a lot of those names that i mentioned and he had the number one seed he was doing his thing he was putting up 20 points six assists four rebounds he had played 45 games by the All-Star break last year. So he crossed off every box to make it. But it's like, nah, we put in Kyrie Irving. You know why? Because Kyrie Irving is that guy. You know what I mean? Kyrie Irving was that boy. We put in Damian Lillard. Why? Because Damian Lillard is a better player. He had better numbers. He's more popular. And even then, 
Last year, Damian Lillard made it as an 11. His team was the 11th seed, and they were below 500, and Damian Lillard was a 2023 All-Star. The 11th seed. So don't tell me that Trey Young didn't make it because Atlanta is a 10th seed right now. Don't tell me that. You, you, you can't tell me that. They're the 10th seed at 22 and 27 below 500. But he has numbers, which was the case that you probably made for Dane. Last year, Shea made it. The, the OKC Thunder in the time span of All-Star, they were 12th and 13th seed. <laughs> Shea still made it. You know what I mean? Like, so... I, I just don't get it. Even last year, DeMar DeRozan, the Bulls were 11 seed. And he made it. He made it over Trey Young. Trey Young was giving you 27 and 10 last year as an eighth seed. Halliburton made it over him. I think there were 10 games below 500 as a 12th seed, and he was giving you 20 and 10. So he wasn't winning more, and he wasn't putting up better numbers. But it's like, fuck it. We're going to throw him in there. And when I see that type of shit, it. it I have to call out what's going on. And I'm so glad that I, I, I'm glad Trey Young is my guy and I like him. You know what I'm saying? But I'm glad this, I'm not using like a Paul George, people that know me historically to be like, that is my favorite player. Because there's no bias in this at all. There's no bias. It's just right and then there's wrong. We're looking at a guy in Trey Young who is putting up the numbers. He's giving you exactly what everybody else is giving you when I look at the, the research. And this is just limited research. I just went back last year. But I know this shit. I I know that this shit goes back way more than last year, y'all. My research would have been, it would have been a book if I would have kept going. But all I needed to do is go to last year when he didn't make it. He didn't make it, and he was giving you 27 and 10 at, on an eighth seed at Atlanta Hawks. But then Damian Lillard at 11 seed can make it. Shea at the 12 and 13 seed can make it. DeMar DeRozan on the Bum Bulls at the 11 seed can make it. Halliburton, 10 games below 500, 12 seed can make it. That's where it makes me kind of look at it in a sense of we have to figure what's out, what's going on. Who doesn't like Trey Young? And what is the problem and the issue that they have with Trey Young? It's the same thing with this season. When I bring up Trey Young's name on numbers on the board, my co host they were like, man, and uh, the Hawks just ain't winning. But it's but like, wait, 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 hold up. Wait, 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 slow down. Slow down. I could point out a bunch of guys that ain't winning this year and last year and probably previous years. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's right. You got a point. You got a point. But he's doing Wait, 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 hold up. If it's about winning, why didn't Jamal Murray make it last year? <laughs> if, if it's about winning. If it's about winning, why does the Pelicans have zero all-stars? Oh, because nobody over there putting up numbers. Oh, okay, well, the Kings, they're the fifth seed, and they got two guys putting up numbers. One of them is almost averaging a triple-double. One of them is – Sabonis is having a better year than Cardinal Towns, and Cardinal Towns is having an amazing year. He's having an amazing year. So what is Sabonis? Sabonis is in an MVP running, man. He's in an MVP running. I think I seen a couple days ago he's fifth in MVP. As far as the ladder. So the fifth guy in our MVP ladder is not an all-star. Make it make sense, man. We have to stop having dumbass shit in our game that doesn't make sense. This is this is get like and then there was a leaked audio footage of Trey Young and Steph Curry talking after the, the, the last game that they played a couple days ago. And it sounds like Steph Curry is saying, you know, it's politics. We what is the politic? 
what politics is going on in this type of thing. I need to know. I have to know. I'm I'm I'm, I'm really want to know what is the politics. These politics in the game, they don't they're not helping anything. And it's the same reason why we seen somebody, I forget who it was, man. There's some there was a media personality that was saying he's giving up his vote this year because he doesn't want to be responsible. I think it was Zach Lowe. Was it Zach Lowe? Um Zach Lowe voting. I'm just gonna type in Zach Lowe voting. Zach Lowe, yeah, Zach Lowe surrenders NBA awards ballot. Feels a little icky deciding players' contracts. This shit, this shit means something. <laughs> and I know the All Star, it ain't as big as like the All NBA for content, but it, it still means something. We talked about our numbers on the board, and Kenny brought up a good point. When we talk about a player's resume, the first thing you say is 15 time All Star. This is a player livelihood, their legacy. And you telling me some of this shit is being decided because of politics? What? This is the highest level. I've heard politics in high school basketball. I've heard politics in AAU basketball. I've heard politics in college basketball. But you would think you get to the full level. This is the final boss. This is the best of the best. The best league in the world. And we still dealing with politics? Still? It's insane to me. I, I just thought that when Zach Lowe gave it up, it's like, yo, you know, I, I've been doing it for too long. I ain't this contract stuff is getting man, I'm gonna just chill. And I believe that he's saying it's feel icky. I believe all of that, but I also believe that he yeah, it probably is political. And somebody who's just a basketball guy who just loves the game of basketball, probably ain't trying to play that political game. I would love to know, I would love to be a person that has a vote that means something. I I, I would I would I just want to know what the type of shit that goes into it. I wonder. And maybe one day I'll one one day I'll have the privilege and I'll know. You know, am I going to walk into work and there's a basket of something delivered as a gift from an organization that that's want me to push and pull for their player when it's time to fill out these ballots? Are players being nicer to me? Am I getting a night? You know what I mean? Like, am I getting free tickets? Am I mysteriously getting an autographed jersey delivered to my house? Is that the political game that's coming with it, it, it or is it? Is it worse? It, um, you know, as motherfuckers looking at you crazy. You know, that's a nice way to do it, where you try to buy your way. Or motherfuckers trying to strong arm a vote. Where it's like, no, nah, uh, you can't sit in here. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, you go to the game, and they're giving you a hard time to get in. and like, You know what I mean? Like, is the, is, what is the politics? I want to know what the politics are, and how important are they? Because I just don't, basketball is such a game that can be so beautiful when it's played purely. You know what I'm saying? And when you see the time and the work that these players put into the game to get here, you're telling me politics. And the politics are probably being controlled by a motherfucker who didn't put in half the work that they put in. It it, it bamboozles me. It bamboozles me. For Trey Young to be the size and stature that he is and have the impact he can have as a basketball player. That means he's put in an unimaginable amount of work. Unimaginable amount of work. And there's people who are trying to rob that because of politics, a political stance in the NBA world. Get the fuck out of here. Go find, go in your, your kitchen, find the biggest knife you can get and cut it the fuck out. Please. 
ruining the game. It's ruining the game. And if you if you watching this video, if you listening to the podcast, hit me up. If you can make some shit make sense to me on why some of the shit is, then 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 hit me up. Like I said before to start this. I'm 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 a grown ass man. I love the game of basketball. I've been to All Star Weekend in the past. I don't know how many years. It's always fun to see all of the stars playing together. When you're there in the moment and you're watching and it's it's lively, um, you're not really giving a fuck about who was snubbed because you all you you realize there's so many guys who are All Star level players. Just the top 24 guys in general are going. It's going to excite you. It's it's going to be exciting just to have them all on one floor. But at the same time, when shit doesn't make sense. And there's no reasoning. That's where me personally, I feel like it's time to look into something. If two plus two has always equal four, then somebody tries to tell you that it equals five. All of a sudden, you you don't just say, oh, OK, no, it's like, no, hold on, hold on. You got to break that down to me. You got to show me why that make why it's five. Now, you got to show me why that makes sense. And we're not going to move past it until. You prove to me that it makes sense, because if you can't prove that, then we're going to go back to when it was fucking four, because that is what it is. And that's what that's what makes sense. So if it's about numbers, you put in the people who are putting up numbers and are the most exciting players in the game. The best 24 players is what we look to put on the floor if we can at all full health. If it's about winning, then fucking let's never let's never put anybody in there that's outside of the playoff picture. Let's call it what it is. If it's about both, then DeMontis Sabonis is 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 never missing an all-star game or anybody that's putting up these type of numbers on a team that's winning as much as he is with the Sacramento King. They're never going to miss the playoffs. We can just fucking book his ticket immediately. It's not even a discussion. The only two times Trey Young has ever made an all-star game is when he got in as a starter, which is, the, again, the majority of it is the fan vote. Any other time, the NBA or the media, the coaches, whatever, is deciding these reserve these reser- reserves, Trey Young ain't making it. And that is an issue. That is a big, big issue. A very big issue. So again, that's that that that's my two cents on it. I I usually never in a million years would spend this much time talking about all-star and talking about snubs, but this is the first year where I really sat back and was like, hold up, wait, 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 wait. He ain't making it, but he's making it. He got this. But he don't got that. Y'all saying this is what it is, but he don't have that. He has both, and he ain't make it either. And then it's just it, it, it just becomes, like I said, it becomes a headache trying to really understand it. And then you realize, oh, I'm never going to understand this because it doesn't make sense. So let's call it out. And that's exactly what I'm going to do until I see some change. And hopefully that change can happen soon because, yeah, we just our game is just too beautiful. And it's, it's, it's too easy of a job. It's the top 24 players. You take the top 24 players, you compare them in any way you want to compare, and you go on about your day. It's just that it's just that simple. Um, so Trey Young, man, all in all, like Steph Curry said when he was asked about it, yeah, you are going to go to uh Indiana. You're going to be there as an injury replacement. Don't let don't let that steer you wrong. Don't let that be something that, you know what I mean, uh makes you have resentment. Continue to put the work in, continue to apply pressure, continue to bust their ass because the, the the Hawks are on a winning streak right now. They just beat the Warriors. They beat the Suns uh, and they beat somebody up with the Lakers, I believe. They're doing a thing. I think they're on a four game winning streak all of a sudden. Um, turn it up, man. Turn it up. Allow it to have you have a chip on your shoulder and continue to defy the odds. Continue to put the work in and be a good example for the youth. 
And that that that's the other thing that kind of is bother bothersome. I have a younger brother who plays basketball. He and he, I'm sure he likes Trey Young, but I've you know he's not like this Trey Young fanatic or anything. But when you have somebody young that you have love for, whether it's a son, a, a nephew, a younger brother who's doing this hoop shit, and you start to have appreciation for guys who just they're good guys to look at. You know what I mean? Because you see so much dumb shit, so much bullshit that could be examples for these young players and it will fuck up the entire landscape of basketball. Whatever you're striving for. If you just want to play college basketball, if you just if you're trying to go to the NBA, if you're trying to be the best player on your team, there's a lot of shit that players are out there doing that's like, no, you don't do that. You you know, hell no. Don't you, you players are getting arrested and having drugs, they're getting caught up in scandals, shit with women. There's people hitting women. There's people who got guns on them. There's all type of bad examples out there, right? But when you have somebody like, you know, a Trey Young, a smaller guy, never really, never been in trouble. You never see him doing anything outrageous. Just like literally, you know, uh, another day, another opportunity, positive type guy, stay to himself, just playing hard, working on his craft, you know, seeing with his family and shit like that. That's a good example. He's a guy that I would show my brother. Hey, man, you see how Trey Young and Trey Young doing his thing? Just hooping, going about his day, and 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 grinding. You know what I mean? Like we got to reward those guys, man. We have to reward those guys in our game. It just it 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 really it it, it makes sense. So um, I'm gonna go off the Trey the Trey Young thing. We'll leave that there because I that that's it's such a passionate topic that it could probably I could go on for a whole another hour about it and what what means. Um, what it means for basketball in totality. Moving on to the next topic, next subject. Before we get into the trade shit, because we got to talk the last part of the episode is going to be a lot of trade rumors and what we looking for. We a few days away from the deadline. Um, but before we dive in at the Bucks, Bucks took a loss last night to the Utah Jazz um, in a game where the Utah Jazz came back, not only came back, but then won by, I think, double digits. Um, and now the, the Milwaukee Bucks with Doc Rivers, they fall to one and three, one and three since hiring Doc Rivers, tough loss last night. And it goes back to the point that I was making with the initial firing of Adrian Griffin and hiring of Doc Rivers. I don't mind Doc Rivers. I said that before. I broke it all down. I really think Doc is one of the unluckiest coaches of all time, just with the track record. When you go and you do the proper research and understand what was going on in each phase, there's a lot of shit that's out of his control. And I don't care who your coach is. When things are out of your control, what can you do? The same thing as a player. You know, if a player is constantly getting hurt and is uncontrollable, you know what I'm saying? And he's changed his diet. He's working out more. He's taking things more serious. And he's still getting hurt. What what, what can he do? It's out of, it's, it's out of his control at that point. And it's not to say everything is, is is nothing to do with Doc. He deserves some blame for his shortcomings in his career as a coach, for sure. But you don't throw all of it on him. And even with that being said, I was still somebody who was saying, as great as Doc can be, because he, he, he's going to get your team better. And I know they're one and three, but we're going to give them time to properly get everything going the same way we did with Ty Lue and the James Harden trade, because we are seeing why it's so dangerous to jump off the ledge. I've seen a lot of tweets now when people are showing videos. Hey, he said this. And now, look, it went from Clippers making a big mistake to Clippers are going to win a championship. I'm seeing some of the tweets. 
I'm seeing some of the tweets. Opinions can change. They're going to change in a game of basketball or any sport, to be honest. But it's also a good a good example of why we should let things take time and not be in such a rush, especially in the content world, even though some of it we have to be in a rush for. But they're one and three. And though Doc may be better as far as experience, maybe better as X and O's with Adrian Griffin, he may have better control of that locker room. The players are still the same. Doc Rivers is not bringing Tony Allen from the Celtics with them. Doc Rivers is not bringing Kevin Garnett with them. He's not bringing Ray Allen or Paul Pierce either, or Rajon Rondo at that. Doc Rivers, as a coach, can only change so much of what we have seen with the Bucs because the personnel is still the same. So when I'm watching the Utah Jazz come back in the fourth quarter and I'm seeing them outscore Milwaukee 40 to 13 in the fourth quarter to win. A plus 27 point differential, which is tied for the highest in any fourth quarter in the franchise history. When I'm seeing that, I'm seeing the same shit I saw with Adrian Griffin. Lackadaisical defense in your backcourt. Let's start there. Because you have Damian Lillard and because you have Malik Beasley, there's going to be so much you can do defensively. You're always are kind of going to be in the hands of your opponent while they're on offense. You're going to be in their palm. Because... First of all, on-ball defense, Damian Lillard and Malik Beasley, they're, they're, they're below average, right? It's never been that much of a problem for Dame because Dame will bust your ass on the other end. He'll, you know, for every point he give up, he'll match that with three. A guy gets, a guy scores 20, Dame might get 60. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it is, it's whatever. But it becomes glaring because we've never seen Dame play on this type of, on this type of, uh, on this type of team. The stature of this team is like championship or bust. They have high aspirations. Obviously, the Blazers have had that too, but they've never. We've never come into the year like, man, the Blazers are they gonna win a championship? They should be making a finals run. No, we've never we've never done that. And now, because you're on this type of team, everything matters. The details are very very prominent. And when I'm watching a game like yesterday, and I'm watching it after, right, because I missed the comeback. So then I watched the entire fourth quarter and I'm rewinding and rewinding and rewinding because I know what happened so I can rewind. And I'm seeing just so much offense is happening for Utah from just screening because Malik Beasley and Damian Lillard can really can rarely get through screens. It is putting the Bucks at the in the worst advantages as a defense. So you're doing a screen between Walker Kessler and a ball handler, Jordan Clarkson, a Keontae George. And because Malik Beasley can't get through it, now Bobby Portis is trying to step up to cut off a drive, but he's also trying to keep his man, the roller, on his hip and not let him get too far behind him. And it's like, I'm trying to contest. I'm trying to stop an alley-oop at the same time. And that's damn near impossible, right? Especially for a Bobby Portis guy. He's not like a seven-foot Brook Lopez. And even when it's Brook Lopez, Brook Lopez ain't as quick on his feet as Bobby Porter's to be able to get in there and navigate guarding and contesting a drive and shot with those creative guards, especially somebody like Jordan Clarkson. You know what I mean? Like, that's a tough matchup. 
And what I'm seeing is that type of disadvantage, it makes the entire defense shift. So now you have somebody going over to help Bobby Porters because he's helping on the pick and roll to stop the drive. So now somebody is stepping up because Damian Lillard and Malik Beasley is too small to protect a basket or a rim for a lob or a dump down for a dunk. So now Giannis is sliding over to get into the paint and help. And now Jay Crowder has to help the helper. And now you're driving and you have a alley-oop pass potentially. You can go up and go around the big potentially. Or you can kick it to the corner to Laurie Markkinen who's going to knock it down. And those are the type of looks that I kept seeing the Jazz get. And they did different type of variations of screening because the Bucks sucked all night in the fourth quarter at getting and fighting through any screen. And then they got to the point where they had the nerve to switch everything. So now when you're switching everything, Damian Lillard and Malik Beasley are, are on Walker Kessler and Kelly Olenek or Laurie Marketing. And now the Jazz are trying to post that up. So now when you post that up, what happens? The defense has to slide and help. And now the help has to help the helper. And now you have a corner three or a wing three open. And with enough ball movement, because the Utah Jazz are a team that likes to move the ball because they don't have, you know, one one guy that's just glued, taking the basketball and just dribbling, pounding it out. No, they have a very fluid offense, which I think the league and everybody in the basketball world is understanding right now because they've been on a tear offensively. And they're very creative with Will Hardy. That they're they're going to find open shots. And that's exactly what they did. And this is a Utah Jazz team that has played a lot better. But this is not a team that really should be throwing fits to the Bucs, man. They're not. The Bucs are going to have to go through. Well, luckily for them, uh, the NB cloud is over the Sixers. But my Knicks are really good. The Celtics are really good. The Heat will beat your ass. You know what I'm saying? The Cavaliers will punch you all in the mouth. They have the size and the offensive firepower with Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland. Now they have shooters like Struess. Niang, Karis LeVert will get hot. If you can't guard the ball and you're constantly allowing guards to penetrate and collapse the defense, and then you have to convert to going switch mode, and now you have Damian Lillard guarding Jared Allen, Evan Mobley. And so when a shot goes up, that's basically an offensive rebound. There were so many times where the switch happened and then the guard, like Jordan Clarkson, would just take the big ISO step back shot. He would make it. And if he missed, Walker Kessler just puts it back in for a dunk because Malik Beasley cannot keep Walker Kessler off the glass. And I'm watching that the whole fourth quarter. As great as the Utah Jazz offense could be, they were doing simple shit, y'all. They were not pulling out the best of the best that they have in their playbook. They, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, these masterminding plays. No. I seen them do shit, it worked, and they like, hey, do it again. There was a play I put on Twitter that got, got a little bit of steam where Keontae George, a rookie point guard, realized, hey, and, I, and, and I'm giving him the credit because he's the player, but hey, for all I know, Will Hardy called him over while they were shooting a free throw and said, hey, they're doing it, I don't know, but I'm, giving, I'm going to give Keontae George the benefit of the doubt and give him the, the credit. They're switching. They have a possession where they come down and they do a, a pick and roll at the top of the key. This is Laurie Markin and Keontae George or like Kelly Olenek or somebody in, in, in Keontae George. Whoever the screener is, is being guarded by Giannis and Keontae George is being guarded by Damian Lillard. The first time they do it, this is when the Bucks are switching. It's like, oh, they're switching everything. So they do it. They switch. Utah scores in whatever way they scores. Bucks come down, get fouled. They shoot two free throws. They make the first. They miss the second. Keontae George gets the ball. He's bringing it up. They're doing the same exact pick and roll at the top of the key, the same two players, 
and they have the same two players involved, Giannis and Dan. Because they know that the Bucs are switching everything, they're so thirsty to switch it, Keontae George sets up Damian Lillard as if he's going to use the screen and goes left to right, very quickly rejects the screen, and now they are at odds because Giannis is not there, and neither is Dane because he's hurrying up to do the pre-switch, and it didn't give Dane, I mean Giannis enough time to get over there. Now, that's an open driving lane for Keontae George. The defense has to slide over and help dump off to Walker Kessler because Giannis is a force of nature. He is able to recover and block that dunk by Walker Kessler. A lot of people in the comments say, hey, fantastic play. You got to throw the lob to finish it off. In real time, it's so easy. The best the best coaches, me and my dad, my dad t- says this all the time when we have my brother's games, the best coaches are on the sidelines, right? The best coaches are on the couch. The, those are the best players and the best coaches because they know exactly what should have happened with the hindsight, right? But I don't give a damn about the, the fact that he should have lobbed it, dumped it down, whatever. It was an amazing play regardless. It's just the fact that Giannis is Giannis, and we've seen him come up with these crazy blocks and stops over the course of his career that is like, how the hell did he get there? How, how the hell did he make that play? But I'm not going to allow that play to not get the love and the credit because Giannis made a spectacular play. I'm not. That was an incredible read and an incredible real-time processing of information for Keontae George. But that's what I'm seeing from the Bucs. With that personnel and that backcourt who can't keep guys in front of them, who can't get through screens, you're always going to put the defense at at a disadvantage because you have to help. And if you're not helping, then you're just going to give straightaway driving lanes and easy buckets. So you're always there are always going to be situations where you either have to switch, and now Dame and Malik Beasley are guarding centers in the paint, trying to keep them off the glass, or you have extreme help, and somebody helps, and now the help for the helper helps, and you have to help the helper, and now the corner is open because somebody's sliding over. It's just, it's, it's, it's just a lot, man. It's a lot. It's a lot. I wish it was just a simple fact of, hey, the Jazz got a hot and made a shot. No. No, the Jazz got hot because it was so easy for them to score. These are professional guys. They're going to knock these shots down. Shot 40-something percent from three. Obviously, I'm seeing the, the, in the one and three course of the, 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 the Bucks. they're giving up points to everybody. They played the Cavaliers and gave up points. The, hell, even in their win against the Dallas Mavericks, they gave up points. They gave up 123 to the Jazz. They gave up 117 to the Mavericks. You just didn't care about it because they were able to get 129. They gave 119 points to the Blazers, y'all. The Blazers. Scoot Henderson, Anthony Simons, Jeremy Grant. They gave up that to the Blazers. Blazers is one of the worst teams in the league. A young team. You got them score 119 and beat you. The Nuggets beat you by six with 113 points. You 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 go you go against Milwaukee, you putting up points, man. And that was the other part that I saw yesterday as well in the fourth quarter. And again, it's going to take some time. Their offense is stagnant now. Doc Rivers is obviously trying to implement more pick and roll between Giannis and Dame, but what that does is everybody else is standing. The easiest offense to guard is an offense that stands. That's the easiest shit to guard. And all that happens is they switch it. And then they try to have somebody manipulate the switch. 
You have Damian Lillard sizing up Kelly Olenek now to see if he can get some type of shot off. You have Giannis posting up on Jordan Clarkson or some shit, trying to see if he can he can back him down or get to the paint off of him. And then everybody else just stands. Just stands. And now Malik Beasley, if we don't have shit, we're just going to throw it to you and you just shoot it. And that's just always going to be a low percentage shot. A guy just standing there and at the last resort, you just throw it to him and he shoots a contested three. That is not good offense. I don't I don't give a damn how much he's making that shot is never going to be good offense. There's going to be games where he's just going to be unconscious and he's going to make six of those. But then you get in the playoffs, he's going to make one out of eight. And you're going to be like, oh, they're going to use Malik Beasley as a scapegoat. Oh, my gosh, he's cold down. Look, he can't shoot. I've seen it happen with the Lakers. Offense where guys just stand and the star player tries to make something happen. And if he doesn't, he just kicks it to you and you're contested and you have to just shoot the shit anyway. And then the fan base is like, man, he sucks. He can't make no shots. (laughs) It's like, bro. Nobody is making a heavily contested catch or shoot three-point shot 50% of the time. I, I, this does not happen. You know what I mean? You look at J.J. Redick and his success with the Clippers or the Sixers, all of that movement that they had him coming off of. You know what I mean? Actual shit and sets and not just like, hey, stand there. It's not fucking 2K. Just stand and we're going to kick it to you. You're going to shoot in his face seven times and make four of them, please. No, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So they have to now figure out how to get that offense all the way moving with Doc implementing the pick and roll, which is something that a lot of us wanted to see. But I don't want to see if it's going to be stale and everybody else is going to sit around. Jay Crowder shouldn't just be sitting around. He's not the type of shooter where defenses pay that much attention to him where he can just stand there at the wing. No, we're going to heavy gap this shit up and we're going to dare Jay Crowder to make seven threes and beat us. We'll take our chances with that. Heavy gap. I'm not going to let Giannis feast. It's going to be so easy to build a wall if that's what the fuck y'all doing. Easily. Even when y'all do the pick and roll with Damian, we're going to guard that easily if y'all just going to have Jay Crowder sitting here spotting up like he's Kyle Korver. He can make a shot, but I'm living with him making those shots and beating me before I let Giannis feast and have 50 or the same thing with Dame. So um, the Bucs got to get it together. The Bucs got to get it together. To wrap up, we got trade rumors because we're a few days in front of the trade deadline. The biggest news that I will say kind of goes aside with the Joel Embiid thing. Zach Levine is out for the rest of the year. Zach Levine and the Chicago Bulls, the Chicago Bulls medical staff and his, you know, uh, agency or whatever. They all agreed that he should get to the foot surgery. So, you know, he's missed time this year. Obviously, he had to sprain ankle with uh, against the Raptors. And I guess some of the lingering effects of that went into the uh, foot to start to bring back. Some issues, which made him miss, I think, 17 games earlier this season. And so now he's going to opt to get surgery to get that foot fixed and healed. And um, he's going to be out for the rest of the year. Uh, I said it on Twitter jokingly, a little bit jokingly, but also very serious as well. And I said on here, uh, definitely get well. I'm not trying to make light of his injury because I'm a big Zach Levine fan. It's a signed Zach Levine shoe behind me. I'm a big Zach Levine guy. A part of me, just as a basketball person, it, I, I, I literally feel like they were like, yo, let's get this damn surgery so we ain't getting, going to Detroit. Just being honest, the Detroit rumors with Zach Levine being traded there heated up a lot. I said it on Twitter. People was like, ah, this is funny. Uh, I was serious. Zach Levine and Clutch Sports, they didn't tell me. This is my own thoughts and opinion. If I'm wrong, Rich Paul can comment on here. That's unk. I would never try to, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I hope I'm not saying nothing out of turn or bad. Um, Seem like they want, they opted the surgery. 
Zach Levine don't want to be in Detroit. Clutch don't want him in Detroit. Nobody wants to see Zach Levine in Detroit. Probably people that live in Detroit. I, I, hell, I don't want to see Zach Levine in Detroit. But the fact of the matter is Zach Levine is $40 million guy per year. Has not played high-level winning basketball. I mean, the Bulls have made the playoffs here and there. But they got their ass swept, you know, against the, the, the Bucks, And that's been pretty much it. They're just he, We just haven't seen this high-level winning of Zach Levine. He kind of plays with the mindset and the attitude as of, of a number one option. But the results of him as a number one option have not been groundbreaking. They haven't been anything special. And again, this is me just being unbiased because I'm a big Zach Levine fan. But even as a big Zach Levine fan, I can keep shit real and keep it a buck. We just haven't seen that. Doesn't mean he's not a good player. But in the position or the way he likes to play and the way they have tried to have things go for him, it hasn't been that. And so I'm looking at Zach Levine as a guy where I think him and Clutch probably should be looking for him to go somewhere on the West Coast because all of those teams on the West Coast, they have they have shit in line. If you go to the, the King, if you go to the Lakers, you're going to be the third option, which is probably the best situation for him at this stage in his career with all of the opportunities he's had at the Bulls to be number one or to be number two or be just a high level player on a winning team. It does. It doesn't convert. Right. Same thing with the Kings. They have Sabonis. They have uh, Fox. Zach as a third option over there would probably be really, really, really good. But most people aren't trying to play, pay $40 million to have a third option. That's second guy type money. Sometimes even face of the franchise type money, depending on who you is in the situation. Um, but I, I definitely was serious and I definitely do believe that that's what happened. It lingered. It hurt anyway. It's a real injury. But I believe knowing Zach, he definitely wanted to play. You know, the Bulls been trying to turn their season around. And uh, things kind of s- skirted back into the losing department. The The rumors ramped up. That shit was lingering anyway. So it was like, hey, instead of playing through it and getting my ass traded to somewhere I kind of don't want to be, let me get fully healthy. Let me also kill that idea of me going there. And then, hey, maybe in the offseason we can rework something out. The Bulls can get a full glimpse of what they're trying to do. DeMar DeRozan is either going to be on the team with an extension. He's going to be off the team in free agency, or they're going to move him at the deadline. And we'll go from there. You know what I'm saying? And we'll see how how the deadline and, and everything pans out. And when we get to the summer, we'll see what, what direction we want to go. Um, as far as other rumors that surround the league, Caruso. The Bulls want two first-round picks, they want, and it's been rumored that they want an OG on an OB type deal. I like Caruso. I think he's a very valuable guy if you really put him on a market. I don't think you're getting the OG on an OB type deal. I do, I do think it may be possible to get two first-round picks. I think a contender team, because of the low money that Caruso makes, he's going to make $18 million over the next two years, $9 million apiece. I would give two first-round picks depending on what team I am for Caruso. If I am a high-level contending team, I will give you two first-round picks for sure. The things he does defensively, every team should be looking for. He's not a uh, extreme negative on offense, and he's a extreme plus on defense. That's the type of player that contending teams want. So I would be looking at Caruso for something like that for sure, for sure. Um, Killian Hayes sticking on Detroit for a little bit. He requested a change of scenery. He's requesting a, tra- a trade, basically. Killian Hayes wants to go somewhere else. 
Um, the Grizzlies seem to have some interest there, so we may be seeing Killing Hayes get 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 moved. Um, going to be very interesting to see how that plays out for Killian Hayes. I'm always a big proponent of guys getting a change of scenery when things haven't worked out, but things have just not worked out at all in Detroit. And uh, it, it's it, it'll be nice to see if if he goes somewhere and plays better, or if he's you know looks different as a basketball player. That'll be telling a lot about the Detroit Pistons and their development and everything like that. Um, and as you can see from my visual people. I'm tapping my phone constantly. Anytime I see an alert on my phone, I got to look at it. I got to check it to make sure we don't get no live air trades. Um, same thing with the Pistons. Alec Burks, Monte Morris, they're getting interest from the, the Timberwolves. Uh, the Timberwolves are also interested in DeLon Wright, Tyus Jones. So they're looking for that, that backup guard that can either give them a little bit of scoring punch or some defense or a little bit of both. And I like that a lot from the, from the Minnesota Timberwolves. But uh, the 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 Pistons could have one of those one of those deadlines where you have Alec Burks, you have Monte Morris, you have uh Bo- Bojan Bogdanovic potentially getting a move. You still have Gallinari and Mike Muscala. Uh, I heard the Lakers inquired on Dan- Danilo Gallinari. So those are all interesting things. Tyus Jones is also a name that's getting some buzz right now. The Magic are interested. The Nets are interested. The Spurs with his brother Trey Trey Jones. Um, you have the Lakers and the Timberwolves, like I mentioned above. I like Tyus Jones going to any of these teams. I would prefer Tyus Jones to go to any of these teams and not be in Washington. I like Tyus Jones on the Nets. Gives them an actual point guard who I think could fit and gives him just a little bit more breathing room because I think Tyus Jones is a really good talent, but I think he's even better when he's around more talent. So you put him around Cam Johnson's shooting ability, Mikael Bridges, Nicholas Claxton, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith, if he stays safe with the Nets, I think Tyus Jones will look better there than a Washington Wizards team that has really no consistency. The Spurs is also a nice spot. I don't like I like the Lakers a little bit, but at the same time, I don't. My top option for Tyus Jones would definitely be the Timberwolves um, going back there. I believe he's from Minnesota as well, so he would be going back home. Um, DeLon Wright saying another wizard garnering uh, garnering interest. Celtics, Kings, Wolves. They say the Celtics, though they are the best team in the league, they're looking to get active. They are apparently trying to package up some of those into the bench contracts and go out and make some move for rotational pieces like the line, right? They are also interested in an Andre Drummond. Um, so I'm like to hear the aggressiveness from the, uh, the, the Celtics. And I believe the Celtics probably are aggressive and were thinking that way because they know they were going to probably have to go through Joel and B and yeah, or Giannis Antetokounmpo at some point. So the, the added size and depth makes a lot of sense. Drummond, he has suitors outside of the Celtics. The Mavericks are interested, the Lakers and the Suns. Seems like the Lakers are going to be interested in every damn body because they are just not good right now. Um, it's to the point where LeBron is, is is saying things that I think is comical just to kind of put pressure on them. He's They got LeBron entertaining the idea of being a Nick. It's like, come on. Man. Shit is that bad where LeBron is acting like he want to come to the Knicks or Acting like he's really considered. And I know he did consider them at, at, at one point with the free agency, but he wasn't coming, man. He was going to go his ass to Miami. He's going to go to Chicago. Or he was going to go team up in in Brooklyn or something with New Jersey. I, I can't remember if they were in Brooklyn yet. New Jersey with Jay-Z. I really think the Knicks were on the list of like five, but I think they were close to the bottom, if I'm just being completely honest. Um, so that's that that's that's hilarious. Even the player option shit is like, have you considered it or thought about it? No. And then that comes out to be its own storyline. People, I'll, I'm going to just keep it straight. LeBron is using that to put pressure on an organization 
you didn't need a report to come out from Shams or Woj or anybody like that. That's just the obvious thing. There's no franchise in the history of basketball that wants to be known as the, the team that traded LeBron James. If LeBron is going to leave, it will be via free agency. Where to? I don't have a clue, but I guarantee you they're not trading him. In a fantasy world, I would love to see LeBron and Steph Curry on the same team because they're both struggling with their organization team right now. But that's just my, my two cents on that. Pistons are interested in Tobias Harris. That's something that I'm watching as well. Um, what the Sixers are going to do. Are they going to buy? Are they going to sell? How do, how do they pivot this? We'll know information once that surgery is completed and done. And there's a clear-cut timetable there. Lakers and Jazz are the only real teams or the only two teams who have submitted real trade offers for DeJounte Murray. The DeJounte Murray sweepstakes are quieting a little bit. And it's getting me a little nervous that we may get to that deadline and no move with DeJounte happens. Um, the Mavericks are looking for a four who can shoot and defend with some size. Somebody was like, man, it sound like you, you, you're describing Przingis that you had. Um, Kuzma, somebody they're rumored to as well. I think the, the Wizards won like two draft picks or something like that. So it's a lot. It's a lot of rumors going on. I am a little murky about how how much activity will be there. Hopefully, some teams get desperate, but I just feel like there hasn't been enough. There hasn't been enough circulating around big. Like I said, we're hearing about Caruso's. We're hearing about Drummond's, Tyus Jones, and shit like that. The Dejounte shit was really, really like hot topic like a couple of weeks ago. Compared to then, it's very like quiet and minuscule. You type in DeJounte now, you're looking up what's going on with DeJounte and you, you're you seeing just like like make mock trades, like shit that fans are doing and shit like that. Um, I do have a source, source, source close to me, told me a couple months ago, DeJounte Murray is guaranteed to get traded. He guaranteed me that. So I'm going to see how good my source is, man. I'm going to see how good my source is. Um, other than that, that is a wrap for today's uh, edition of the heliocentric podcast this was a phenomenal episode i think we got it what a hour and 15 plus minutes going on of high level basketball talk a lot going on around the league i will be busy this week with a lot of videos hopefully because we want to see a trade deadline be extremely active we are days away well two two days away three days away uh thursday at three o'clock i believe is, is the end of the trade deadline so hopefully um outside of this podcast you'll see more content on this youtube channel dealing with trades and different activity around the deadline as always i appreciate y'all i am the host of the heliocentric podcast pierre Pee Wee the plug and treason i will see you guys next time i'm out peace